reading today is from Acts 20, 17 through 38. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plot of the Jews. You know that I did not hesitate to proclaim anything to you that was profitable and to teach you publicly from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from, from the Lord Jesus to testify to the, to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to the shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that at night, that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And now I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are, who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. After, the, after he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of God. Saying goodbye is hard to do. And I should know, because I grew up in the South, where saying goodbye was an art form, which was evident by the long ritual that preceded the actual farewell. The ritual would go something like this. Grandma and Grandpa would come for a visit. By the way, they lived in the same town we did. And... After visiting for a couple of hours or so, the ritual would begin. One grandparent would make a motion that it was time to go. The other grandparent would second the motion. Then the discussion would begin. My parents would protest. Why don't you all just stick around for a while? A grandparent would seemingly push back. No, no, we need to get home and get to bed. Tomorrow's a work day, you know. After more disingenuous persuasion, the grandparents would stand up. This was a signal that more duplicious protesting was warranted. Why don't y'all just spend the night? That made no sense to me. 
We didn't have enough beds for our grandparents. They didn't bring so much as a toothbrush to indicate they might consider staying overnight. Besides, they lived in the same town. The next stage of the ritual went something like this. After a flurry of goodbyes, one of us would retrieve grandma and grandpa's coats, assuming it was winter. We didn't need them in the summer. <laughs> but after bundling up, they would open the door and walk outside. And then we would follow them outside without our coats. Shivering in the cold night air, offering even more disingenuous pleas to spend the night. This was the part of the ritual that I disliked the most, especially in cold weather. You wouldn't wear a jacket out in the cold to finish saying goodbye. Uh, that would be considered rude. So after declining all further pleas to spend the night, Grandma and Grandpa would get into the car and we would stand there in the yard waving goodbye until they had driven out of sight. Then we would go back into the house. After one such visit, when the lengthy ritual had concluded and we were back in the cozy confines of the house, I asked my parents, why do we have to go through this long process of saying goodbye? Why couldn't you just say goodbye and walk out the door and that would be it? Well, why did we have to beg our guests to stay longer when we were ready for them to go? Why couldn't our guests just say goodbye and go? So then my parents explained, that would be rude. It would be a breach of etiquette to not beg your guests to stay longer. Otherwise, they might feel unwelcome. You don't want your guests to think you were trying to get them to go, even though you were. Uh, so I counter with an argument of my own that if we were going to stand outside in this cold and say our many preliminary goodbyes before one of them finally took hold, then could we at least wear our coats outside in cold weather? Oh, no, that would be rude. Needed to tell you about the ritual involved in saying goodbye when I was a kid because now you know why it has taken me so long to say goodbye. So years ago, I think about three years ago, we established a date for me to retire. And then we adjusted that date. And then at my request, we adjusted it again. Finally, we settled on a day in June when I would retire. And many of you invested a lot of time and energy and money in putting on a lavish retirement party. It was quite a send off but I didn't go. <laughs> I was here the following Sunday and the one after that and the one after that and the one after that for months. One day a young person came up to me and said, I thought you retired. Why are you still here? It's a good question. Well, it's because I grew up in a culture where saying goodbye was a long drawn out process, but today I'm saying goodbye for real. We sold our house here in Charleston. We bought another house in Nashville, Indiana. Uh, by the way, um, we had always anticipated that we would move back to Nashville where we lived for some 15 years and where three of our children and all of our grandchildren live. And so in prayers, we say, Lord, would you open a door for us to go to Nashville? And um, 
proof that God has a sense of humor. He said, okay, um, you never did specify which state uh, you're going to Nashville. <laughs> and so Nashville, Indiana, and not Nashville, Tennessee. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we are really leaving this time, and this time we really do mean it when we say goodbye. In the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, uh, the passage that Nate uh, read for us a moment or two ago, we see something similar happening. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and he wants to see his friends, uh, the elders of the church in Ephesus, uh, while he is on his voyage. Uh, he didn't really have time to stop off in Ephesus, uh, so when he gets to Miletus, he sends word uh, to friends in Ephesus to meet up with him where he has a layover. This would be the last time they would see him. So the men of Ephesus begged and pleaded with Paul to stay, and they meant it. But Paul was on a mission. He had to go. This is one of the most touching goodbyes in all of Scripture. And in this passage, we learn something about how to say a healthy goodbye, which is what I want to do this morning. A healthy goodbye has a cluster of elements that will help us all move to the next stage of life without each other. So there is a crisis of identity element, an emotion element, and a theological element uh, that are at work in a healthy goodbye. First, the crisis of identity element. When we think of the word crisis, we typically think of something that is uh, intensely difficult, uh, troublesome, or dangerous. But the word crisis can also mean a turning point for better or worse. When you say goodbye, one of you goes in one direction and the other either stays put or goes in a different direction. And this was certainly the case of the church in Ephesus when Paul came to visit with the elders of the church on his way to Jerusalem. The church in Ephesus was in crisis. Danger presented itself from both the inside and from the outside. How would the church in Ephesus respond to the crises they faced? When I came as your pastor nearly 21 years ago, the church was at a crisis point meaning that we would go in one direction or another, or maybe in four different directions all at the same time. Our church had recently withdrawn from the Disciples of Christ denomination, which was the right thing to do uh, because the Disciples of Christ as a denomination no longer affirm two basic affirmations of the Christian faith. One, that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And two, that Jesus is the exclusive savior of the world. And so when those measures did not pass, the congregation that we are part of at that time uh, withdrew from the denomination. Understandably, that created a split 
uh, but withdrawing from the disciples also created a vacuum, actually several vacuums. There was a theological vacuum. Should the church have a statement of faith or not? If so, what should that statement be? There was a governmental vacuum. Should the congregation continue to govern itself according to the polity of the disciples of Christ, or was there a better way that should be considered? What would be the role of the elders and deacons? Should those roles be limited to ceremonial ones as they had been in the past, or should we re-examine those roles in light of Scripture? Those are just a few examples of the crises that the church had to deal with. But perhaps the most serious crisis was this one. What should be preached from the pulpit? Should the message be a brief, shallow, feel-good message, or should it be an exposition of Scripture? Now, that was an easy decision for me. I believe the pastor should feed the flock with substantive messages from the Bible. But not everyone agrees with that. Um, there are plenty of people, uh, including several elders at the time, who preferred a message that could best be described as a pep talk. So we were at a crisis point. We had to decide who we wanted to be. So resisting pressure from both inside and outside the congregation, we chose to be shaped and formed by the Word of God. This is who we are. Some of you are at the crisis of identity right now. You're not sure who or with what you identify. Jesus Christ is not merely one way among many to a life that ultimately brings you to a point where you are a perfect sinless person living in a perfect and sinless world with other perfect and sinless people in the presence of the one who brings that perfection to reality. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. When the message of the gospel is faithfully preached, the Spirit of God works to open your eyes to understanding the gospel. For the mark of a healthy church is not really gauged by how many people are in attendance, but who do, the, who do those people become? We preach and we hear the gospel at this church so that those who are at a crisis of identity may know who Christ is and who you are in him. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And this is the goal of the ministry of this church, to present Jesus Christ as he really is so that we may become like him. So that's the first crisis, the crisis of identity. Let's move to the second crisis now, which is the, uh, or, or the second element rather, the emotion element. Some goodbyes are temporary, and when you regularly share community with people, you may say goodbye to one another as you 
head out the door um, to go about um, your, your day or during the week when you head out for uh, work or for school. And uh, these goodbyes are all sincere, but they're usually not emotional. Uh, that's because before the day is over, you're going to see each other again, or before the week is over, you plan to see each other again. But uh, when, when you see people on a regular basis, you don't tend to shed tears every time you say goodbye because those goodbyes are temporary. But today is different. Today we go our separate ways. And as we do, we're going to shed some tears. It's in scripture <laughs> when, when uh, you, you part ways, uh, when there's a permanent change in the relationship. Uh, tears can be expected to follow. So in our text this morning, uh, we see weeping or tears mentioned three times. This goodbye was a big deal. And so is the one that we are saying today. Tears are a sign of deep pain. It reminds us that ministry is painful. All life-giving things are painful. Just ask the mothers who were here. They'll tell you. Life is filled with tears. Tears are nothing to be ashamed of. Tears are a sign that something meaningful is taking place. Tears are a sign of genuine bonding. It would not be any stretch whatsoever to acknowledge that those with whom I have formed a deep bond has been through tears, uh, dealing with a tragedy or with difficulty in life. Tears have a way of bonding people together. So tears may flow freely today or not, but if they do, it's okay. We have plenty of Kleenex boxes around. So you, you can pass those around if need be. But uh, something I do want to acknowledge here is that the presence of tears when saying goodbye is evidence of a healthy farewell. So a healthy farewell has three solid elements to it, the crisis of identity, that element, the emotional element, and finally, the theological element. You knew I had to get something theological in here, didn't you? I didn't want to disappoint you. Uh, there are a number of theological features we could point out here, but I will discuss only a few. If you have your Bibles open to the passage that we're looking at this morning, uh, you may want to let your eyes drift upward a bit, and you'll see where Paul has been preaching, and he goes over time, he goes past midnight. I will not be going past 12 midnight today. I will not even be going past 12 noon. But nevertheless, in the story that uh, precedes the one that Nate read for us a moment ago, there was a young man named Eutychus who was sitting in the window, and uh, Paul went on and on and on and on and on and on, and Eutychus fell asleep sitting in the window and fell out. It was a third-story window, and when he fell down, uh, you know, he was dead. And, of course, everyone was alarmed. And um, I mean, can you imagine 
um, what the conversation would have been around the breakfast table the next morning when they got home and say, well, how was church? I didn't see you last night until you got home. Well, let me tell you, you know, it, wasn't, it was a church service like I haven't seen um, before um, because when Paul goes out to see about Eutychus, uh, he brings him back to life by the power of the Spirit of God. And then, of course, there is uh, great rejoicing. Uh, but the theological point I want to make here is that long sermons are biblical. <laughs> Isn't it nice to know that our worship services here are very biblical? In uh, verse 27 of Acts 20, Paul says that he preached the whole counsel of God, meaning that he didn't cherry-pick the parts of what God has to say to us that are easy to hear and ignore the rest. And by the way, that's what we endeavor to do here. We preach not only from the familiar passages of Scripture, but also from the more obscure books and passages of the Bible. And by the way, uh, it takes a lot of words to explain the message of the Bible. Then there's this uh, second theological aspect I want us to see, which uh, we see in verses 22 and 23. Um, Luke tells us here, uh, Now behold, uh, Paul is speaking, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now here's the theological point I want to make from these verses. Just because something is hard or painful doesn't mean that it isn't God's will for you to go through it. The misconception in our day is that God doesn't want you to go through any pain or suffering or hardship of any kind, and if you have enough faith, you will be insulated against the hard things of life. But when Jesus bids you to come after him, he tells us that following him means taking up your cross. And if you do take up your cross and follow him, he will be with you all the way through. And then there's one more theological point that I want us to see here. We tend to gauge impact by success, but God gauges a person's impact by his faithfulness. In verse 19, Paul says that he served the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials, and that's not generally how great leaders describe themselves, is it? We want our leaders to be victorious and powerful and joyful, don't we? But Paul says, I'm a man of humility, of trials and tears. Uh, the, the word that's translated humility uh, in the scripture here is often translated weakness. It was a, a word that was almost always used as an insult. In today's culture, that word would mean loser. But the word is used some 200 times in the Bible, and it's almost always considered as a virtue. Now, why does an insult outside the gospel become a virtue inside the gospel? Because Christian ministry is not about extraordinary men and women of great character who are worthy to be praised, 
but about a great savior who saves the weakest, most broken, and most guilty of sinners. Paul doesn't want to leave his friends with an example to admire, but with a savior to trust in. Tim Keller said something that resonates with me. Here's, here's what he said. A humble and weak person will show a crucified savior better to a listener than a polished, pulled together expert. Because that's how it's happened for us. We weren't saved by pulling ourselves together, but by admitting that we are sinners and calling on the one who was pulled apart for us. In verse 24, the Apostle Paul says, But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul wanted to finish the course, and he wanted to finish strong. But sometimes... You just don't feel like you can keep going. There are two things in particular that can wear you down. Failure and fatigue. Sometimes it's hard to keep going when your life is not rewarding you with success. I've more than a few of those times. It's also hard to keep going when you feel tired and worn down. I understand what that's like too. I'm Sure, most of you do. But Paul experienced both failure and fatigue, but he kept going. It was my intention to retire um, at this stage in life. Um, been at this for a, a long time, ever since 1976, with a hi hiatus uh, here and there. But apparently, God's not through with me yet, so I get to stay in the race. Nevertheless, my work here is now done. I've handed the torch to Jared, who is fresher and stronger and ready for the next leg of the race. I preach to you the whole counsel of God. I use many words to do that. I said everything that I wanted to say to you, except for this one last word. Farewell. Gracious Father, and come into you this moment in our journey together. We acknowledge that had you not been with us, we would have all given in to fatigue and failure long ago. But you gave us energy for life. You gave us your Holy Spirit to live within us, to open our minds, to be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
of the gospel of Christ. And you've given us a sense of mission. We pray that the mission will continue in this community and beyond as we have opportunity to touch lives of those who have been here a long time, who are lifelong residents, as well as those who are here just for a brief interim at the university uh, before going on to wherever uh, you, you may send us. For this particular uh, moment in time, it's a, a holy moment to recognize your presence. We celebrate what you've done in us and through us and humbly ask that you will continue to be at work in us and through us, not only so that our lives may continue to change, that we may continue to become more Christ-like in our behavior, but so that we may also be an agent to bring about that kind of transformational living in the lives of others. We ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.